holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome to The More Perfect Union, a podcast about the joy we get from American politics, or as we like to call it, real debate without the hate. I'm Greg Matuszak, your liberal Democrat from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Cliff Dunn, your Republican from Virginia. I'm Rebecca Kushmeider, your liberal Democrat from Kensington, Maryland. I'm DJ McGuire, your Republican in exile from Suffolk, Virginia. And I'm Kevin Kelton, a moderate Democrat from Los Angeles, California. And tonight we have a guest on The More Perfect Union, conservative attorney Helena Henry, who lives in Dallas, Texas. Helena, you want to tell us a little about yourself? I am a uh, registered Republican who is also, like DJ, in exile. Uh, still consider myself a conservative and spent time working on the Hill for Senator Specter, working for Mayor Bloomberg, and now find myself in Texas. Ah, beautiful Dallas. The more- Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! More Perfect Union can be heard on iTunes, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and at our website, moreperfectunionpodcast.com, where you can also find host bios and some of our pithy commentary. Well, this Tuesday, this past Tuesday, Donald Trump nominated Judge uh, Neil Gorsuch to uh, fill the vacancy left by Antonin Scalia, who died last February, and Several Democrats are insisting on putting up a filibuster. Not all of them, though. But for the most part, the I think the impression that, that I got, you all made differently, is that this was probably the most Republican-friendly day that Donald Trump ever had. Well, I, I, I'm going to agree if just because it was actually a very good day. More or less the entire party's gotten behind him. Um, you know, even the Democrats, although there's talk of a filibuster, I— the read I am getting is that there is not the stomach from the entire party to do it in the Senate. So I get a feeling that he that there I don't think there's going to be a filibuster because Gorsuch is very qualified, very much within the uh, mainstream of conservative thought. I would say uh, so. <laughs> the mainstream of conservative thought is far, far, far right, but that's okay. Yeah, you know? he's actually judged to be uh, right of Scalia, which is yeah, amazing. I, I I, I know you all like – I know most folks on the left like to tell themselves that. But the fact of the matter is from what I've actually read, Gorsuch is considered a bit to be a bit more – even have a bit more flair than Scalia did with his opinions. He has respect from across the political spectrum, including – He's quoting uh, Merrick Garland. Inclu- including President <laughs> – including President Obama's former solicitor general, who is a, or former President Obama's solicitor general, who has come out and said that Democrats should should confirm him. The fact of the matter is, I think what Democrats need to realize is 
this is really this is the reason why Donald Trump won the election. If Adams, if if Antonin Scalia were alive today, Hillary Clinton would be president. I genuinely believe that. This is the only reason Donald Trump won. No, and, not the only reason. No, but it's not the only reason. No, not the only reason. But please, please go on. But uh, the point I'm making is is that if the Supreme Court is not an issue in 2020, and there's a lot of time between now and then. But if the Supreme Court is not an issue in 2020, if the assumption is that the court will be relatively stable in the 2020s, then Donald Trump will be at a severe disadvantage compared to where he was in 2016. Um, This was the one thing he promised the Republican Party that he would do, and he did it. Well, he promised a lot of things. He promised walls. He promised immigration. He promised a puppy. He did all sorts (laughs) of crazy stuff. (laughs) But, unicorn, <laughs> unicorn, uni, you know, unicorn smelling, girls. all sorts of things. But let's let's be clear. There's not going to be a filibuster because Democrats keep saying this whole thing. We're going to take the high road and the voters are going to respect us because we're going to be nice about this. And, you know, when it comes on down the road, they're going to respect nice thoughts and feelings and how nice and high roadish we are. Not so much the results that we get, no, but the high road. So I would like to ask Helena, uh, as a, a trained attorney, do you have any sense of where this man falls on the on the judicial spectrum and why we have the perception or we've been told by the media that he's actually to the right of Scalia? So I think that this has to do with a couple of things. First, where he has tended to fall on on individual positions, but second, his view of the Constitution and the extent to which uh, he he has a textualist approach to the Constitution. That that's probably what's informing that view. I, I do want to note two things. One, this pick, the Gorsuch pick, is the thing that Trump has done that has eased the consciences of those who voted for Trump. A lot of those who voted for Trump. This is this has allowed many people that I know to sleep at night. And the second thing is, I, I want to push back a bit on the notion that this will not be relevant in 2020, because when you look at the age ages of the justices on the Supreme Court, we've got at least two who are in their 80s. What what Trump has done here is he has demonstrated, I, I'm, go- I'm doing the things I said I would do. I, I gave you the pick that I said I would give, and I'm going to do it again in 2020. So when we're looking at justices who are now in their mid-80s in 2020, you can rely on me to get the same kind of conservative in. What makes you guys think that this pick is not going to turn out the Democratic base in 2020? Don't you think that there's... Because they're going to turn out anyway. Oh, they are? Okay. Why weren't they this past year? Um, (laughs) Bernie Sanders, but don't get me started on that. I, I will say you had enough flaws with the candidate, you know, with the candidate, and I think there were some messaging issues that there were enough cases where Hillary was framed as not being interested in the economic stuff. Remember, Bill's it's the economy, stupid. Bill pushed for her to focus more on the economy, and I, I think, for, quite frankly, you, you have a lot of voters out there for whom they would they would happily vote for, you know, broad health care, blah 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 blah, but they don't want all the of the other campaign baggage that got thrown in this year. I think that you're underestimating the fact that a lot of Democrats thought that Donald Trump, and frankly, I fell into this too, I'll be honest with you, we thought that he was a liberal in in conservative clothing. And a lot of Democrats didn't show up or voted third party because on some level they thought that, you know what, his Supreme Court picks won't be that bad. They didn't look at the list. They knew there was a list. They knew the Heritage Foundation had approved the list. 
but it wasn't really front-page news. In fact, it, it, frankly, it got buried. And if that election were held today, I think you'd have a very different outcome. And I think that the, the, the liberals would turn out and she would have beaten him by 6 million votes. I can't prove it. It's yeah. just a theory. Well, but let, I mean, me tell yeah, you, I mean, let me tell you, this pick is galvanizing the left. All right. Did well, you, I think they were did galvanized you really... on day one. You okay. had 3 million people turn out at those protests. They, they were galvanized on day one. I'm not sure how they're going to get more galvanized. Okay. It's going to be pretty galvanizing when the, you know, the Ohio abortion decision makes it, or abortion ruling makes it to the Supreme Court, and we're relitigating Roe. That's going to be galvanizing, I'm just saying. Now, talking about uh, people turning out, uh, this is the third weekend in a row that there have been nationwide protests against the Trump administration. Uh, last week, during the week, there was also the, um, the Berkeley protest. Was that last weekend or was that during the week? Where there was, was some February first, yeah, yeah, it was it was during the week Berkeley that it was, was um, the college Republicans at Berkeley, and who knew that there were college Republicans at Berkeley um, had invited Milo Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, yeah. Am I pronouncing? Am I saying that right? Yes, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know how to say it. When, when, they, when you talk about when you talk about the college, uh, the Republicans at Berkeley, you, you might as well just say both of them. Why don't you? Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard one of them uh, on NPR because um, uh, that's the kind of Republicans they are. Um, but yeah, he was invited to speak, and um, I guess there was a student protest planned because Milo's repugnant, and and Berkeley students like to protest. And uh, then it was infiltrated by about 150. I, they're they're saying they're black bloc anarchist protesters who showed up and started breaking windows and lighting off flares and and uh, creating an unholy mess. And the whole event had to be scrapped because they couldn't guarantee anyone's safety on campus. And it's turning into quite the free speech debate. Um, my particular stance is, eh, you know, you could have moved it. Am I the only one here well, who believes that uh, the protesters who were masked and came with bricks in their hands were actually alt-right plants, possibly brought by Milo himself? Uh, yes. that you, you, yeah, that's just you. That's a conspiracy, and you have no proof. I do have proof. It, you know so, what my proof is? I believe it. Yeah. So, Kevin, is this your alternate fact of the week? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and you know what? I think both sides can have alternate facts. It's not just the right that can have alternate facts. You know, the only thing, the only reason I would agree with Kevin is, like Rebecca There's said, only one. Well, <laughs> on this one, on this one, is Berkeley students like to protest. In fact, I think you can get a major in it. Um, yeah, you can get a I master's mean, that, there. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a master's program in protesting there. They're good at it. And they're good at doing it without breaking stuff. They have protests there like every week. They know this is the line. This is but where you do it. There were protesters. There were left protesters at, there. But there was a small group of 100 to 150 that showed up in masks and were violent and were burning things. There, and that's there's no proof that those are to... Berkeley students. The rumors I'm hearing among the Anarchists, very small is that they're anarchists. They're, they're from a, a movement known as Black Bloc that is, engages in what my, my anarchist friend refers to as the smashy smashy. I, I would submit to you that anybody that shows up in public wearing masks and throwing bricks and starting fires... By the very definition, they're anarchists. They don't have to be members of a group that call themselves anarchists. Well, well I, I just I just hope, I just hope we, we get Grover Cleveland and Franz Ferdinand to safety if we have anarchists <laughs> around again. 
So if there's anything, Kevin, that supports your theory, uh, if you look at what's happened to Milo since the black bloc or alt-right plans have escalated the tensions at Berkeley, is Milo has gone from being a sideshow to a central component of the national conversation. And uh, yes. this bodes yes. very well for his Simon and Schuster book deal. Absolutely. And I think yes. that, and, and so, that's part yeah, of my right. conspiracy theory. Yeah, I would just want to say one other thing, what I love about this podcast is that when we came to this topic, the name Yiannopoulos was not a problem for anybody, but we struggle over Milo and Milo. (laughs) (laughs) Most people have no idea what his last name is. I keep seeing on Facebook Milo Y all over the place, but we knew Yiannopoulos. We just couldn't get the first name right. Yeah, I mean, they they can't spell it. Um, The other thing I'll say about uh, Milo Y is remember, (laughs) he got his start from getting kicked off Facebook. This is his... And Twitter. Uh, this, and Twitter. Right. This is his bag. You know, uh, yes, hey, yes. I have a message, and it may not be liked, and it may not be popular, but the man is shutting me down, and, and liberals are shutting me down. Oh, wait. Now it's help. It's, it's, now it's being shut down, and the bastion of liberalness, Berkeley. So yeah. to say this is happening is kind of a repeating thing. Boy Who Cried Wolf... Uh, is that a stretch of the imagination? Well, no, and it shouldn't happen. But uh, he's more famous this week than he was last week. And I correct. think, I think uh, you know, uh, it's part of my little conspiracy theory that I would not be surprised if he was involved in this. And this was the plan to become and, a, a cause celeb. And the other, the, the other problem here is what happened in Berkeley a couple of years ago, right? So Berkeley has a, a PR optics problem. And they're limited in what they can do to respond to the black bloc or alt-right plants because of the the pepper spray in the face. So you're now left with a situation where Milo's the center of the conversation. It's out of control. The police aren't going to intervene. And things can escalate to the level that they have and and get the headlines that they're getting. Well, and part of the optics problem also, for, for me at least, is that, you know, they had a couple hundred of these guys and the police didn't manage to bag any of them. They all got right, away. Right. Now, this might just be the fact that the East Bay's police have turned into the Keystone cops. But if you wanted to start talking about conspiracy theories, Kevin, that would ring a bell that, you know, usually when something like this happens, they manage to grab a couple of them. Yeah, no, I, That's what makes me think they are a part of Black Bloc, because I think those folks actually are pretty good at evading arrest. I'm not, I, you know, who knows if the all right is any good at that. But the only two things that matter, there are only two things that matter. One, as much as as much as Milo the Greek would love it to be otherwise, there can only be one Pim Fortune. Secondly, the <laughs> left or the opposition needs to be very, very careful because they're coming dangerously close to setting Trump's Reichstag fire for him. This wasn't quite that, but it was really, really close. I mean, Hitler at least had to set his own Reichstag fire. Trump may have the luxury of letting other folks set it for him. Now, while we're on the topic of campus protests, and let's can we uh, keep in mind that uh, Milo or Milo or who they, what are we calling this guy? <laughs> this dude, um, he's a Breitbart guy, so he and Steve Bannon uh, have more than a passing acquaintance. So maybe, maybe Kevin's right. I know I am. While we're on the topic I, of of <laughs> campus protests. <laughs> There was another uh, reference to a campus protest from the 70s this week. A a GOP official in Michigan talked about the protesters that are happening or the protests that are happening across the country and said something to the effect of maybe it's time for another Kent state. 
which I found to be about as in bad taste as anything could possibly be. He actually also went on to say, uh, one bullet stops a lot of thuggery. And there are so many things wrong in that phrase that I can't even begin to, you know, uh, enumerate them. Anybody else find that particularly offensive? Incredibly oh, yeah. offensive. Because, I mean, he, the, the deaths at Kent State, that was... Those were college kids uh, protesting against a war. Uh, you know, it, it was, it, it, they were not wrong. But even um, if they were wrong, for anybody to say it's time to start shooting protesters in the streets again, imagine if a Democrat had said this. The problem here is to what extent has this type of rhetoric become normalized because we have developed such the calluses from Trump? Are we seeing sentiments that always existed, maybe were more latent and are coming to the surface just now? Uh, or is it something that's that's new and, and being really pioneered and championed by him? It's, it's I, actually, I, 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 I would say it's a matter of platform. I, I think that, you know, these were things that would be said at the water cooler and would vanish into the air. Now you type them on Facebook in that same sort of expecting it to, to pass and, and be ephemeral. And, uh, you know, suddenly your headline news. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, okay, I want to jump in and point out that, yes, A, you're right, this is water cooler stuff that, thank you Twitter, thank you Facebook, etc., now leaks out into the public and we get these bursts of outrage for it. Second is, and, and this actually does spin back into the Berkeley thing, college campuses as a whole have gained a bit of an optics problem in general over the last couple of years. You know, we've lo- I've lost count of how many commencement speakers have had to pull out because some group of students said, we don't want them, blah, 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 we're going to protest. Uh, William and Mary, and this is going back 10, 15 years, every time Henry Kissinger, who was the school's chancellor, showed up, there was a massive protest. And at one point, the college president had to turn around and say, uh, guys, have you had your fun? Okay, good. The police are escorting you out. The college president had to have them kicked out. So, yes, it's bad form. It's bad taste etc. On the other hand, there is a lot of frustration, I think, that has built up over time at these protests. And uh, did the Michigan Comet come after the Berkeley incident? I believe uh, so. It happened. Yes, I think so. I think so. It happened, uh, it happened February 2nd. Okay, yeah, so it came so, afterwards. Yeah, yeah so, came, so I, came afterwards. I, I, think that, I think that basically the, uh, the Milo incident in San Francisco, well, in, at Berkeley, um, probably brought out the, I will say it didn't bring out the best in the right, but it did bring out their frustration. You, you, you know, I would say a little column A, a little column B. This is the same guy. By the way, let's let's call this guy out because his, his name is Dan Adamini, and he's actually the secretary for the um, Marquette County Republican Party. So he's the secretary. It's, it's uh, I'm assuming, an elected official, and it's not like president. He doesn't lead. He probably takes notes and or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and he brings so the he's donuts, not, make sure he brings the coffee the, started. So about, about a month ago in January, um, he when uh, Congressman John Lewis said, I don't see Trump as a legitimate president, he tweeted back, what's that, that too many blows to the head during protests? So, Jesus. And it's not so much that I think there's a lot to be said that, yes, we would see this as a water cooler, but this party knows this, has seen this repeatedly, and I think – this group has accepted it. Um, the follow-up to this is the uh, Marquette County Democratic Party, of course, is P-I-S-S-E-D, as my mother would say. <laughs> and, and in response to that, the Marquette County Republican Party shut down their Facebook page and made it private. So they've just said, you know what, 
we don't want to hear it from you. So well, the other the other thing I would notice well, is also what, what we have him by doing that. Yeah. What what right. what, what, ha, what has been forgotten in the in the midst of time is that Kent State was not only a, a tragedy and not only a horror, but it was actually politically damaging to the Ohio Republican Party. They lost the governorship uh, six months later. They nearly lost a United States Senate seat that was supposed to fall right into their lap. And they took some they took some hits. Uh, the party as a whole took some hits in the midterm elections that year. So, so it's not as if I don't know what the, this fellow was thinking, but the notion that the notion that uh, that, that bullets silence protest movements in opposition just it did not hold in 1970, and I doubt it would hold in 2017. I mean, and one other thing I would say is I. I have to put the qualifier out there that you know in these committees um, in each county you tend to have an executive committee of five to nine people depending on the committee and sometimes you get some real goofballs in there and if, and if this guy is the only guy willing to take the notes um, you might not be able to find the votes <laughs> no really no I'm Nobody, sure he's right he's right the there's Dear gotta God, be another right. guy with a big pen I mean <laughs> well no yeah, but I, it's I a mean, question is there somebody is there somebody the question is, is there somebody actually willing to pay attention long enough to take all the notes down? And yeah, that tends to be something it's easier to find the crazies to do that. Talking about people with short attention spans, uh, the president of the United States signed uh, an immigration. Oh, no, excuse me. There was a, a judge in uh, Washington state, I believe, that uh, issued a, a restraining order against the president's travel ban uh, this week. Do you guys think that uh, this is going to hold up? Obviously, it's going to continue to weave its way through the courts, maybe get to the Supreme Court. There's no telling whether it's going to get there before or after Neil Gorsuch uh, takes his seat on the court, assuming he's confirmed. But how do you guys think this is going to play out? It may not even hold up till 6 p.m. Monday. I mean, <laughs> right. they're, they're already no, there, there's already something scheduled that the, the, the restraining order could be reversed sometime tomorrow. By so the who? Ninth Circuit allowed uh, for the parties to submit extra briefing, and the, their responses are due Monday. Um, there's also a chance it's it's small, but there's a chance that the Supreme Court doesn't take it up at all. So you have the four-four split, and. Uh, you know, in traditional cases that aren't quite as high profile and perhaps not quite as urgent, uh, the court will really take something up uh, if there is a circuit split. But in the event that they don't get the numbers here, they may leave the Ninth Circuit decision alone, and that would be the standing law. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think I think there's a good chance that you do end up with a circuit split at the end of the day, because let's remember this is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, that is hearing this. I think there's a decent chance that you could see, say, the First Circuit in uh, in Virginia out here uh, turn around and issue fourth their own. Yeah, uh, sorry, four. Yeah, you know, the fourth could. The I think there's a good chance that the Fourth Circuit Court out here in Virginia could turn around and issue a separate ruling that would support the um, support the immigration order. And you know, we could get up. In, we, we could get into this hilarious situation where. You cannot come into the U.S. from the following countries unless you fly into LAX, SFO, or Seattle. So, uh, so, see, so here's that's not hilarious. Question. We there's, have a different view of hilarious, but okay, go on. <laughs> there's a so already in Boston. Uh, there's a court that declined to extend a an injunction that was granted. So y- you have the situation already where there's one court who has said, "I'm going to let this lapse," and then you've got uh, the deportation uh, stays in. 
uh, Brooklyn and in Virginia, and then you have, of course, Seattle. So, so you're already in a position where, where the, the, there's not consistency throughout the district courts. But, but the, the consistent component is there is a party here, these government agencies, that has a, a standing federal court order saying you can't do X. So, you know, whether you can do it through LAX or through Logan, Seattle, the Seattle decision co- that covers that. Here's what I'd like well, to ask as everybody. It stands, the Seattle decision has caused the Department of Homeland Security to completely stop enforcing any of the provisions of the executive memo uh, at all. So, yeah. and you know, and everybody, I think everybody understood that this is a potentially a very finite window, and there was kind of this call to arms in the social justice warrior community, of which I am a part, that was, you know, if you are waiting to get back into the United States, do it now, get on a plane, make it happen, because this window could close at any moment. Here's what I want to ask everybody. Is there a chance the, the courts come down one way? They, you know, the, the, the last decision is that uh, there's a stay, there's a, there's a uh, restraining order. A court rules that the travel ban is not constitutional. And Trump convinces the Department of Homeland Security and the Justice Department to enforce the travel ban anyways. What is to stop him from doing that? Obviously, he could be held in contempt of court, but it's pretty doubtful that that any even a federal court is going to hold the president in contempt. And he has the army. He has the police. So what happens if we get to a real constitutional crisis here? Yeah. And this is where you hope that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell remember, essentially, that the the foundation of the principles that they believe in and that I believe in are that the, the separation of powers and the checks and balances that are in our system are, are there for a reason and uh, that, they, that they, they denounce that sort of behavior. As I understand the law, the president does actually have the authority to block immigration from people that he per- perceives to be a threat. He, and it, it, it's a fairly broadly written um, allowance in the, in the U.S. code. I, I read about that shortly after the election. Now, what I think is potentially going to happen, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm, I might be blowing it out my ass right now. Um, the travel like, ban, like most lawyers. <laughs> yes, agreed. Yes. Not a lawyer, for that matter. Um, I, think, I think there are portions of the executive memo that will stand. Um, I think what is going to be a little more complicated is the issue of people who uh, have green cards, who have legal standing to be here already. And I think that's what's going to get toppled. But for folks who are applying for new visas, new green cards, new new travel allowances, that is what's going to be. Yes. And, and the 90 day bans, that that's probably a component that might stand too. The, what I was going to say is th- that that sort of defiance of the court wouldn't actually be entirely unprecedented. So if you look at uh, the reaction that, you know, Andrew Jackson has had to the courts, let him enforce his own yeah, exactly. Lincoln, exactly. And, uh, and even Thomas Jefferson. Um, so so I, I don't think Donald Trump is, is thinking about it this way, but, but there is a, a, a history in our country of executives rejecting the, the guidance of the court. But, but I, I don't know that we get there. I would like a note for the record that we have had essentially three Trump critics, one Trump defender who's not really willing to defend this, Donald Trump has not actually had anyone defend him on this executive order, and he's already won the debate tonight, and I will tell you why. Because we have spent the last five to ten minutes arguing about what is legal, what is illegal, what is constitutional, what is unconstitutional, and we have not spent any time discussing the actual policy. Donald Trump is winning the political debate on this issue because no one is willing to question him on the policy. 
This is bad policy, whether it's legal or not. It gives our enemies a how-to manual on how to infiltrate the country. It depends on a naivete regarding restriction and control that is the mirror image of what the left does on gun control all the time. And it is basically an easy, lazy way to pretend that he is protecting us when he won't do what we actually need to do, like create a democratic government in Syria that can be an alternative to Assad and ISIS, or building up and supporting the democratic government in Iraq. He's not willing to do either of those things, so he signs a piece of paper that pretends to do something, and when it gets challenged in the courts, everybody argues, is it legal, is it illegal, does he know the checks and balances, is he a tyrant, and he is scoring points on the policy issue because no, hardly anyone I've seen is willing to step and say, wait a minute, this is bad policy, it will not protect us, it will not keep us safe, it will actually make things worse. No one has been talking about that since the since judges first put ish first put bans on it. Before judges put restraining orders on this thing, before judges moved to stop this thing, people argued the policy. And then it just seemed to stop as soon as a judge intervened. Everybody said, Oh, well, the policy debate is over. No, the policy debate is never over. We should spend more time reminding the American people that this is bad policy. You know what else is never over? <laughs> the life of Frederick Douglass. Because apparently... <laughs> you know, you know, he's, he's doing... He's getting a lot of attention lately. He's, he's getting work, a lot of attention. You know. He's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. He'll be more and more recognized you know, as we go on. He more was and more. a hero in the Bowling Green Massacre. Where's your sense <laughs> of patriotism? Pour one out for the Bowling Green Massacre, kids. Helena, you want to bring our listeners up to speed on what we're talking about? Sure. So uh, as, as some of you may know, February is Black History Month, and uh, Donald Trump uh, gathered his his favorite friends, uh, Omarosa, Ben Carson, and some others, to discuss the importance of Black History Month. And in doing so, mentioned Frederick Douglass. Uh, he spoke about Frederick Douglass in the present tense, I believe, I don't have the exact quote, but something to the effect of uh, he's someone who's he's doing a great job, does amazing things and is continuing to get noticed more and more. Uh, Sean Spicer later uh, tried to clarify his comments and made it worse, frankly, Uh, (laughs) made it made it more present tense than than uh, Trump's initial (laughs) comments, which, you know, Uh, but but I think the interesting thing here is putting aside the pandering, it is tremendous to to see um the impact of of ignorance and and i don't say that lightly you know we we had a series of campaign promises that that trump would get the best and the brightest but ignorance is something that can't be cured by getting the best and the brightest around you right and and ignorance of of an individual who is a revered figure for african americans is something that's unique because the the message that it conveys is i actually don't care I, I didn't bother to Wikipedia this person, you know, and, and figure out the years he he lived in the ten seconds before I chose to bring him up. And and I, you know, I, I don't pretend to speak for all African Americans in the country. I can barely speak for myself, but that's a Black Lives Matter problem, right? That that's a that's a problem with um, appropriate respect and reverence for people who have uh, paved the way for other African Americans to to have the roles and have the opportunities that they do in this country. Uh, you know, 
I have to I have to say that um, as we try and try to bring on uh, conservatives and Republicans who will who will not speak ill of Donald Trump, it's impossible. <laughs> well, I, I will say this, and someone mentioned Bowling Green, and, and here's where I'll lose some friends. Uh, with Bowling Green, and, and to bring everyone up to speed, uh, Kellyanne Conway, an interview with, was it Chuck Todd? Yes. Is it with Chuck Todd? Yeah. yeah someone. Chuck Todd uh, noted that, in fact, the Obama administration had prevented two Iraqi, um, Iraqis from uh, coming or, or something to that effect. And, and these were the masterminds behind the Bowling Green Massacre. In her defense, I believe it is plausible what she meant to say was Bowling Green plot. Yes. And she simply spoke. I believe this. Her explanation doesn't make sense because then she comes out and she says, I meant to say, oh, terrorist, not massacre. But, but, but the word terrorist doesn't make sense in the sentence that she spoke. But the problem here is even though I believe that's probably what happened, she really did misspeak. And then there's a, a sort of hysterical re- reaction to her comment um, because they've put forth a, a universe of alternative facts. She loses the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's that's the shame, right? That that now we're we're concerned about false information and and um, inciting hysteria over fake attacks. When when I don't think that's I don't think this was that calculated. I think it is calculated. I think they're geniuses. I think that we are so wrapped up in Bowling Green Massacre, we're not really looking at like the terrible things they really are doing. And right now, we just spent ten minutes talking about Frederick Douglass and Bowling Green, which is you know, pretty, oh gosh, they're bumbling. Oh, jinkies. But they're doing horrible things with Betsy DeVos and, and foreign policy and, and crushing, uh, and taking names off, uh, and, uh, dogs rights and humane society lists. And they're doing horrible, evil stuff. But you know what? It's not like those things aren't being discussed at all. I I spent most of the week dealing with Betsy DeVos. DeVos stuff. I've been, I, you know, every oh, I know. that I'm in is, is, you know, making frantic calls on Betsy DeVos. It's just fun to talk about Kellyanne Conway sounding like a nitwit. I know, but I yes. think they actually, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's my conspiracy theory of the week. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Please follow us on Twitter at MPU podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash more perfect union podcast. And share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover us as well. And if you enjoy edgy political debates and would like to be part of ours, join us on Facebook in our political discussion group, Open Fire. We're all there, and we type better than we talk. We'd love to see you there, too. Until next time, have a great week. Who here types better than they talk? Not me. I do. I do. I don't believe that for a second, DJ. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! 
holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!